our prayer, Father. That song is lifted to you as a prayer. We ask that now as the Bible is opened and we continue to discuss your word, that you would show us Christ. He is who we need to see. And so God, through the preaching of your word, show us Christ that our hearts would be encouraged to walk in light of your grace to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Children, wait, children. Look at mom. Tell her you love her. Okay, good. Now you can go. Uh, And my mom's listening to this, so mom, I love you. Um, uh, She taught me the gospel, and I get the uh, unique privilege of doing that. So uh, mom, I love you, and I'm thankful that you taught me the gospel. And uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach you the gospel this morning as we look uh, in the book of Philippians. I, I read a story this week, a true story of a couple that approached their pastor after a service right here in the D.C. metro area. I'm not sure what church it was in, uh, but a couple came up to their pastor after service and said to them, they told this couple told their pastor that their college age, age daughter had recently shared with them that uh, she desired to move overseas for the sake of Christ in his mission. Pastor responded like I hope we would here at Restoration Church. That's great news. Praise the Lord. Glad to hear that. And then the couple quickly corrected the pastor and said, Oh no, we want you to help us by talking her out of ruining her life. Cultural Christianity that majors on the benefits of Christ and not on the cost of following Christ. And enjoying his people clouds the beauty of Jesus. It clouds the beauty of his glory in and amongst this world as it is seen in his people. But friends, cultural Christianity has not always been the story of the church. In fact, today we're going to be reading about a guy whose life was so compelled by Christ that he defines for us what it means to seek the interest of Christ in each other. We're going to see that in this guy, Epaphroditus. We're going to see it a little bit in Paul. We're going to see it in the church at Philippi. What it means to seek the interest of Christ in one another. Continuing on from our uh, looking at Timothy last week. And we're going to do that by evaluating some 12 things. 12 things that I observe in this passage. Yes, been going seriously. 12 things? Yes, 12. Hope you drank your coffee. There's a lot of good, wonderful meat The solace of God's Word. Twelve things that are here to illustrate for us what it means to seek the interest of Christ as a community of Christ, as a community of the Gospel. And so if you're here this morning and you've not followed Christ, you're not following Christ, and you're interested in doing so, let me encourage you to be amazed at the teaching of God's Word and the beauty of God's people when they're living out the Gospel. In Restoration Church, may we listen and be compelled to be courageous Christians whose lives are dominated by a love for Christ that is so great that we cannot help but be salt and light to a world that needs a better story. And so Paul, we see here in this passage, coming to chapter 2, verse 25. We're a little over halfway through the letter now, and Paul has just finished relating to the Philippians their need to be of the same love and of the same mind of Christ Jesus. He then illustrates this mind in the life of Timothy. We saw that last week. And now this week we will see how he's going to illustrate all these things he's been teaching through the life and the ministry of Epaphroditus as well as the church there at Philippi. So this is why, otherwise why, that would be a strange thing. Why would he insert these 
uh, sort of directions in the middle of the letter. Um, and I think it's because he's trying to kind of bring together all that he's said so far to illustrate that and to teach it to us. And so listen as Paul uses Epaphroditus and the relationships around him to illustrate all that he has told us so far. Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So the first thing that we see that the community of the gospel does in seeking the interest of Christ is, is that the church sins. They sin. Now, I S-E-N-D-S. They probably do sin from time to time, but they send, they send people. That's what we see there. If you look there in verse 25, Paul, Paul has been talking a great deal about humility and seeking the interest of others. And what better way to illustrate this than by talking about sending a man that would otherwise have been a great comfort to him back to the church in Philippi. And you see that there in verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send Epaphroditus back to you. So he's already talked about eventually sending Timothy. We saw that last week. But here Paul illustrates seeking the interest of Christ by not keeping good gifts for himself, even in hard times and difficult times. But instead, the community of faith sends people on to others so that they too might grow in their love for Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in prison, far away from most of the people that I knew and loved, the last thing I would want to do is to send away somebody that had been such a help and encouragement to me. And yet that's what Paul does. Paul shows this other orientation by sending Epaphroditus back to the church. And I get that back to the church. Namely, what I'm saying there is that Paul, that Peter, or that Paul is trying to send this guy back to them because he came from Philippi. And I get that from this notion of him being your messenger. You know that there in the text, that he was your messenger, the messenger of Philippi. And so much like we do short-term mission trips today, Grace Church Philippi sent Epaphroditus to care for Paul in prison and bring him some material and spiritual support. And as we will see, apparently Epaphroditus on the way to Paul gets sick. And the church got concerned for their brother. But Paul wanted them, he wanted the church in Philippi to have Epaphroditus back so that, verse 28, they may rejoice and that he may be less anxious. Now imagine this, if we had somebody like, let's say, Nat, who we sent overseas to go to Kurdistan. All right, If we went over there and we found out that on the way in the airplane she got sick, right? we would find out she got sick, maybe she told us we got sick, And we were concerned about her and we wanted to see her back safely. No doubt when she came back, we would be excited, we'd be encouraged. And after they knew she got back safely and was well, they they too would be encouraged. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening in this passage. Paul wanted to give them back so that the whole church would be encouraged and he would also be encouraged. And so that's happening in the church, sending them, sending Epaphroditus to the church. But as Paul wanted to see Timothy, send Timothy and Epaphroditus back to the church for their welfare, we see that's what the community of the gospel does in seeking the interest of Christ. We send people. We send people. 
And those people that we send do all kinds of things, right? They provide material support, spiritual support, emotional support, or any kind of other support that may be needed. And as we do that, as we help those others, as we send those people out, we seek the interest of Christ, which, of course, also simultaneously encourages our joy in the community of Christ. And so it's good for us to be reminded of this, isn't it? At Restoration Church, because in a church that sees a lot of people come and go, I know that I would like to keep all of you here with me since I've been here and Joe and I have been, and our wives have been here the whole time. And many people sort of come and go, but it's good. We see here it's good for the church to send gospel labors to other gospel labors. That's a good thing. We need to rejoice. We've done this quite a bit over the years. From sending short-term teams to Haiti, to the Dominican Republic, to Russia, to Scotland, to England, to Kurdistan. And we have more trips coming up this summer, which I hope that you'll be a part of. Those of you that can. We find later that we'll even send this summer, we'll send out the Maleros from our church. We've also sent individuals like Alex to the Middle East, AJ to Russia, Whitney to Haiti, Andrew to England. And I'm hopeful that more here will go. We're praying for that, that more of you would leave here for the sake of Christ and his mission. But we also not only see the interest of Christ in the community by through the gospel, by sending the church also seeks the interest of Christ by secondly, operating as a family. Operating as a family. Now, Paul uses five titles or maybe we could call them descriptions of Epaphroditus. The first one we see there in verse 25 is that he is, quote, my brother. And I want you to note the uh, I want you to note the kind of affection of those words. You see that? See, those of us that are in the church, we've been in the church for a while. We're used to sort of calling each other brother and sister. And I think if we do that too much, we kind of lose the fact that that there's an intimacy involved in those words. And I think Paul is using that to try and help the church in Philippi to see that. See, we in the church are not just responsibilities to each other. We're not just covenanted members to each other. We're brothers and sisters. We're family. We're family. That's what we see. So we operate as a family in the church. And when we do that, we seek the interest of Christ, which is to reflect our identities as the children of God. We have the same heavenly Father. We're bound together by the same love of Christ. We have the same mission. And Paul wants the church in Philippi to be reminded of that, that we're family, that we're family. And so we seek the interest of Christ by operating inside the spiritual reality of that fact, that we're family. We shine as lights to the world when we see ourselves as a church in that way and live in that way. See, I think it's easy for us to simply consume the church and use the church as an individual benefit and then leave it whenever you're finished with it or when it doesn't fit your desires. And I think it's easy to think of the church more like that because we oftentimes see it as a kind of service provider than we do a family. And that's easy to do, right? That's what we're taught in the world. So Verizon Cell phone service is cheap. We like it. We use it. And we find out Sprint has a better rate. And we like their service just as good. And so we switch. Or Comcast Cable. They have good channels. Those kinds of things. But we find out Dish Network has better channels. We're kind of tired of, you know, uh, whatever Comcast Cable's uh, customer service. And so we just switch it on over. And since that's the world that we swim in, it's easy to kind of subconsciously come into the church as a Christian and treat her the same way. But Paul provides for us a better narrative. 
a better story, a better way of life, a better way of seeing things in the church. See, Epaphroditus wasn't just some service provider for Paul's spiritual and physical needs. This was his brother. This was his brother. So in the same way, Jody is my sister and Alex is my sister and Daniel is my brother. This is my family. Restoration Church is not just a service provider for me. It's not just a way for me to make a living. This is my family. My faith family. We are bound together by the new covenant. We love each other. We love each other. We talk things out. And as we will see, we bear burdens. We rejoice with those that rejoice. Serving the children of our church. Hosting community groups. Meeting with one another to help each other spur one another on in Christ. These things are not distractions to our lives. This is what we do as a family. Sort of how we help each other, encourage each other, and operate in this way. And so, if we are to seek the interest of Christ... Shine as lights in the world, as we've seen. We provide a better story than the lonely story that the world offers us by operating as a family, bound together by the love of Christ, by the love of Christ. And we do that. When we do that, we seek the interest of Christ in each other, in even us shining in the world in that way. So we also, though, we not only sinned, we not only operate as a family, but thirdly, we are fellow workers. We are fellow workers in the church. This is a way in which we seek the interest of Christ. I want you to notice, guys, in that word there, when you look down at that text, the word fellow. Don't run over that word fellow. Paul doesn't call Epaphroditus a worker. He is a fellow worker. And remember, this narrative is here. It's not just passing along information. He's coming out of calls to obedience so as to illustrate what it looks like to live out all of these things that he's been talking about. He's trying to illustrate them. So by Paul calling Epaphroditus a fellow worker, we learn not only that seeking the interests of Christ includes workers, it includes workers that are fellows. Now just think about the humility of Paul here. Paul's been talking about humility, and here I think he's showing humility. So for Paul to call Epaphroditus a fellow worker is to put this brother on the same level as himself. You know, I'm sure the temptation was strong for Paul to see himself as an apostle appointed by Christ and therefore as this kind of authoritative head. And he was that, but notice he doesn't use that to lord it over them. He shows the kind of humilities that leaders should have by referring to this brother as a fellow worker. But he also instructs us that seeking the interest of Christ as a community of the gospel, it also includes work. Includes work. Now, when we hear that word work, we sometimes kind of kind of hear it as a bad thing. Or at least as a kind of obligation that we sort of have to do, but we don't really want to do. We sometimes use the word work as a kind of antonym to the word leisure. You know, work and leisure. You know, you know they, my job is not like a job to me. You know, you could pay me or not. You know, you don't have to pay me. We kind of talk like that. But the reality is work is a good thing when it's aimed at the right things. So we think about God. God Worked, right? In creation. Still works. We saw that Adam and Eve are working in the garden. And we know that in the new heavens and new earth, according to Isaiah 65, guess what? You and I are going to have jobs. We're going to be working in the new heavens and new earth. So again, working is not a bad thing. Working is a good thing when it's aimed at the right things. And so Paul is showing Grace Church Philippi this by helping them see that we in the community of the gospel not only receive the good gifts of God, We also have to work to see that fruit brought about in others in the life of the church or in the life of the community of the gospel, that is. So Epaphroditus not only traveled a long way to get to Paul, he also spent time helping Paul in his work of the gospel. 
while Paul was there in prison. That's interesting to, to think about. We don't know all that he did, that, Apoll, uh, that Epaphroditus did, did, but for Paul to call him a worker, he must have been doing something. He must have been doing something. And so in the same way, if we desire to seek the interest of Christ, we too must be workers who are fellows. Workers who are fellows. And to work is to cultivate. It's to dig up. It's to produce something. So the community of the gospel is working to cultivate or produce godliness or righteousness and restoration in the community and in around the world as the Spirit enables us and excites us and directs us. We're instructed by Galatians 6 that tells us to do good to everyone, but especially the church. We should work, that is, for everyone, but especially the church. And by doing so, Jesus says that we will provide a beautiful preview of heaven as the community lives out those kinds of things. So the church does not exist to entertain, but to work for the glory of God and the good of His people in the world. And so to be a member of the body of Christ is to work alongside of others and actively participate in seeing the growth and maturity that Nick talked about last week. To seek the interest of Christ is not only to receive, but to work as fellows whose aim, whose mission is the same. And so we not only receive, we give, we work as fellows, which leads us to the next thing. We seek the interest of Christ by being a community of the gospel that sins, that operates as family, is fellow workers and next fellow soldiers. Fellow soldiers, you see that there in verse 25. Now, Paul uses this image of warfare quite often in his letters. If you've read his letters, you know that he uses this language a good bit. Uh, We know back in chapter 1, verse 30, he says that we are engaged in the same conflict. That's the kind of language of warfare. Many of us are familiar with Paul's writings in in Ephesians where he talks about putting on the armor of God. And I think we're given this language of warfare and of soldiering for at least two reasons. And the first reason, I think, as Peter tells us, The devil prowls around us seeking to devour us and take us down. That's one of the reasons I think we're told this language of soldiering. The devil is seeking to take us down. And I think that's especially true of churches. Of churches. The evil one wants to take individual Christians down, but he knows that the power of the church is so much greater than individual Christians. And so if he can divide churches, if he can disunify them and their life together, then he has a huge win. If he can especially take down leaders, he can really take down churches and divide them. And in that way, Satan really gains an upper hand because he's divided, he's disunified, he's given a false witness to the world. And so the the language of soldiering reminds us that the enemy's desire is to take down churches. But I think also the language of soldiering is used because it reminds us that we have a mission to advance the kingdom by making disciples. The church, friends, is not primarily a defensive entity. It's a primarily offensive entity. It's desiring to influence the world with the love of Christ and His mission to see His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're after. That's what we're up to. And as we do that more aggressively, we remember that we're soldiers fighting for the fight of faith alongside of one another as fellows. The more that we do that, the more we'll be reminded of why we're at work, what we're doing, which, by the way, reminds us why we have to go back and be reminded of why we're soldiers. I think a good way of Illustrating this is uh, a quote that I saw from an American soldier that once commented on the North Vietnamese soldiers. He said that they were, quote, the toughest fighters in the world because they knew what they were fighting for. That's how we have to be. 
If we're going to be good soldiers, fellow soldiers, we have to remember why we're fighting. And I think sometimes we don't. So we got to know what we as the church are fighting for. See, Paul was reminding Grace Church Philippi of these same things when he referred to Epaphroditus as a fellow soldier. We're at war, brothers and sisters. We're at war. We fend off the lies of the evil one and we strive together as fellow soldiers, pushing the light of the gospel into the world with love and with truth. So much of our laziness in the Christian life and loneliness in life in general, I think, is because we forget this. The community of the gospel, friends, is not just a tame little organization that is built to kind of make us feel better, to kind of give us a little morality and come together, have some potluck dinners and sing a few sweet songs of by and by and off we go. No. No. The church is a community of the gospel that is seeking the interest of Christ by understanding itself both as a family and as an army. Both. Another Soldier from the American Civil War that I think illustrates that as we go about this warfare together, we become closer in family. He says this, quote, those who had stood shoulder to shoulder, there's the fellows, those who had stood shoulder to shoulder during the two terrible days of that bloody battle were hooped with steel, with bands stronger than steel. Another soldier from the 83rd Pennsylvania that suffered 75% casualty said, quote, that it seems strange how much the rest of our company has become united since the battles. They are almost like brothers in one family now. See, warfare has a way of doing that to a people. And likewise, when we are not at war and we get lazy and sort of dismissive of the king and the kingdom, then we forget the fight, which then makes it easier for us to be disunified. But you see how working together for the glory of Christ, being united in the gospel, pushing that gospel up, strengthens our witness Warfare, friends, has a way of binding people together as fellows with bands that are stronger than the thin ties of selfish wants and desires. So Paul knew the hardships of gospel ministry. He knew the church needed to be reminded of them as well. And so Restoration Church, in our life together, we are going to have to go through hardships together. We're going to do that as fellow soldiers, fellow workers. But listen, if we stick by one another, holding fast to the words of life, trusting him and on the other side of those fights those difficulties we're going to come out stronger because of them and a greater and brighter witness our love will be deeper our bonds will be bound by hoops of steel together as we go through that together holding fast to christ holding fast to jesus holding fast to one another and so we seek the interest of christ by being a community of the gospel that sins that operates as a family is fellow workers and fellow soldiers and next messengers messengers again you can see that there in the text i've already commented on how paul's referring to epaphroditus as your messenger this indicates to us that he was sent by the church there in philippi to paul but it's important to know that paul refers to this brother as a messenger as well now why would that be important that we want to emphasize the fact that he's a messenger well because to be a messenger is to carry a message that is to say quite simply words he had words Paul is highlighting that for the church at Philippi. Now, we know from chapter 4 that he brought more than words. We'll get to that later, but it's a words. It's a message that Paul wants to highlight for the church. And what is that message? Well, friends, it's the message that informs the soldiering, the working, the sending, 
It's the sole reason that the community exists. It's the partnership of the gospel that they had. So there it is. There's the message. What's the message that he is a messenger of? It's the message of the gospel. The greatest news that has ever been given. So if it weren't for the message of the gospel, Paul wouldn't be in prison. And he wouldn't even know these people whom he yearns for and loves. The gospel is the message that carries us around the world and serves as both our pattern and our power as we advance the gospel. The gospel is that message of power. We are messengers. Epaphroditus was a messenger. And so that message is the gospel. And the message of the gospel is the message of redemption. Where Christ the Lord interceded, became a man and lived amongst us and shed his blood on a cross for sin that we might have our sins paid for, that we might be redeemed. His blood, his holy blood was the purchase price that pays our price of redemption that we might be free. And his resurrection illustrates to us that payment was received. And that's the message. This overwhelmingly powerful message of redemption and hope and forgiveness of sins. That's who we are, Restoration Church. This is why we exist, to be heralds, to be messengers of the hope of heaven. And so since we see Epaphroditus was bringing a message to the Apostle Paul that also reminds us that this message, this gospel message, is not just a message that is to those that do not believe. This message, this message that Epaphroditus is carrying to Paul also reminds us this is a message for the believer. For us that believe. Those that do believe. I asked the guys in my accountability group this week. We were sort of working through some things as, as men in our accountability group. And we were talking about word and prayer and I asked them, Yes, are you working in word and prayer to cultivate the word in your life and prayer? But tell me, brothers, are you rehearsing the gospel daily, regularly? I think we can get so much in the pattern of, of just reading the Bible and thinking of good thoughts and sort of having sort of moral patterns to walk in, just obeying whatever the Bible says. And we forget the most important thing, the message of the gospel. We've got to rehearse that regularly to ourselves it's so easy so easy to get wrapped up in church or in christian culture at large and forget the message that binds us as a people and fuels us i was arrested by a statement that i read from russell moore this week where he said quote it's easy to forget how good the good news of the gospel is that's a strange statement and yet i think he's right why do we forget the gospel we move on from the gospel how can we forget what we say is the most important message in the history of the world why is it we so easily move on from the message that we call the greatest message of all we must daily brothers and sisters daily regularly momentarily rehearse for ourselves the message of this gospel this is all that it is for this is all that we are this gospel and after doing so we must remember that we the community of faith we are messengers of that great message And we have to remember that this, this messengers, this being ascribed as messengers of the gospel, this is the greatest privilege in all the world. There's nothing better than being deemed a messenger by the king of kings. Nothing better. This is not just a responsibility as Christians to message the gospel, to spread the gospel. It is a privilege. Christ has given us a message to not only enjoy, but to spread as far and as wide as we can so that others may come to know the joy of the greatest interest in all the world, the interest of Christ among his people. 
And so we seek the interest of Christ by sending, by operating as a family, by being fellow workers, understanding ourselves as fellow workers, fellow soldiers, messengers of the gospel, and next, ministers of need. This is the fifth description of Epaphroditus there, the last one, that Paul is using to illustrate what the church is to look like in illustrating what it looks like to seek the interest of Christ. And we can flip over, you can look there if you'd like, flip over to chapter 4, verse 18. We get a little more insight of what these needs were that Epaphroditus was ministering to. He says in chapter 4, verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So as a result of the Philippians sending Epaphroditus, Paul is well supplied. But for Paul, it was more than just supply. Did you note there, it was a fragrant offering that was acceptable and pleasing to God. Do you note here, if you're familiar with the teaching of Scripture, what Paul seems to be doing is, is this offering that Paul or Epaphroditus brought, he's using language that is familiar or similar to Old Testament sacrifices. So the Philippian church's gift of supply through the personal encouragement of Epaphroditus both supplied Paul and was a vessel of worship to God. That's how he saw it. Now, again, we don't know exactly what that supply was. Maybe it was some food for him. Maybe it was some clothes for warmth. Maybe some writings for him to study. Maybe it was just the presence of Epaphroditus. We're not sure. But Paul holds this out as an example to the church as a way of showing that they sought the interest of Christ in him and those he serves. And so this is what we do when we use our gifts in order to serve the needs of the church. You may have the gift of hospitality. And so... That's a way that you offer an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. You could have gifts of teaching in community groups or discipling relationships. Or it could be the financial gifts that we offer to the church that supply the needs of Washington, D.C. and the ministry of this church as we seek to influence the world with the gospel. So you may think that you're dropping a check in the basket when it just comes by. You may think that's all that's happening. You may be aware of the fact that it's kind of hard to do that because you'd like to keep it because you know how, things, how tight things are. But Paul sees that time, that time of offering, he sees that time as the giving of a sacrifice that is pleasing to God in worship. So if you don't give financially, you then compromise that sacrifice and we compromise the work of the gospel in our midst if we don't do that. But if you do give, brothers and sisters, you are being a minister of need. Isn't that fun to think about? You're being a minister of need. That's what Epaphroditus was. That's what the church in Philippi was trying to be. And that's what we are when we serve the needs of our neighbors in the gospel. We've got that wonderful example in the book of Acts where we see the church were together, had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And what happened as a result, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, what a privilege it is to be a community that gets to be a part of God's redeeming grace to the world by ministering to the needs of one another as we labor to seek the interests of Christ. So I think about this uh, as I saw the email go out uh, this week where Jeremy and Taylor, as they come in with Parker, they're organizing meals for them. Small thing, small thing, but they're a new family transitioning back. And so what a great opportunity for us to just cook some food. And minister to those needs so they don't have to cook a meal. That's what we're doing. 
in those instances. We're participating. We're being ministers of need to God's people. And as this happens, we seek the interest of Christ and display the beauty of the community of the gospel. Next, we see here, seventh. That's right, see, this is not so bad. Seventh, here we are. We also find that the community of the gospel, the people of the gospel that are seeking the interest of Christ, they have a kind of fellowship that is longed for. There's a fellowship amongst us that is something that we long for. Long for. I think this is one of the most foreign things to us modern readers. Look there again at verse 26. For he, he's referencing Epaphroditus here, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So Epaphroditus had been away from his church long enough that he longed to be with them again. He was also concerned that they were concerned so much for him. Isn't that interesting? Epaphroditus was concerned that they were concerned about him. I wonder if you've ever felt this way about a church before. You longed for them, longed for the fellowship with them, seeing them, being with him, worship with him. Have you ever experienced that as a Christian? If you've been keeping up with the Wiseners uh, these past couple months, you've experienced this. This is sort of strange for me because I keep seeing Jeremy come in and out and I've not seen Parker in person yet, so I'm slightly distracted uh, because I can't wait to go and see him. But anyway, we've been witnessing this with the Wiseners, haven't we? See, many of us were concerned in similar ways about how Parker was going to be received by the Wiseners. And likewise, we were concerned about how the Wiseners was going to receive Parker and how all of that was going to go. And didn't it give us joy? Didn't it give us joy when we saw that Parker so well, he came to his mom and his dad? Wasn't that encouraging to us? Didn't it give us joy? See, that's exactly what's happening here in this letter. And in the same way, if you read read those letters from Jeremy and Taylor, Jeremy and Taylor mentioned to you, Restoration Church, that they missed this gathering. They missed you. And here they are. They're right back there. They're finally back. This is exactly what's happening. It's exactly what we see should be happening in the life of the church. We long for the fellowship of one another. And so this longing for the faith family, I think, is sadly an uncommon thing in the life of the modern day believer. But friends, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. When our lives together are so intertwined that we share the ups and the downs of life together inside the love of Christ, we come to miss each other when we are away from each other and we look forward to meeting each other each week. And so, friend, if you understand yourself to be a Christian, and if rolling over and going back to sleep on a Sunday morning is easy as a Christian, that means something critical is missing in your life. Paul is referencing a messenger that left for the pure purposes of the gospel labor. That's what he's talking about. I think he's talking about a missionary, as it were. But I think it's also appropriate for us to think about all the people that we have done life with and have left us, or is leaving us, or leaving us. So once again, many of us have uh, wept about people that have left us, moved away from us. Once again this summer, we'll get a few more gut punches of people that we love are going to move away from us again this summer. And when that happens, beloved, when that happens, when longings for fellowship are stirring up in us, and we miss the thought of fellowshipping with one another again, then you need to know, Restoration Church, we're doing something right. We don't do everything right. But we do something right when that is happening. We are seeking the interest of Christ. You can, be, you can know that when it's hard to say goodbye to others, 
or see later to others. You can know something is happening in a good way insofar as that's fused with the gospel. So don't forget that when we send out mission teams later this year. Don't forget that when we send out missionaries like we did with Andrew. And don't forget that when we have to say those see you laters later this year with the Bergeners, with the Perrins, with the Galdemezes, with the Heries. These are hard, but as these are hard and as you weep those tears, be reminded something right is happening. Be encouraged. In the same way that we're participating with what Epaphroditus must have been feeling there in Rome as he thought and longed for the fellowship of that church. God is willing and working for his good pleasure in us insofar as we seek the interests of Christ. And if you're here, maybe you're a member of the church, maybe you're not a member of the church, and you, this sort of feeling is foreign to you. you don't, you're, not a feel, you're not feeling that longing, sensing that longing. Well, let me encourage you, if that describes you, go and talk to those people that are leaving and having a hard time and just ask them, how is it they got there by the grace of God? Maybe learn from them and maybe they will encourage you to come into this idea of the church as a family that is longed for. Next, we see here, similarly, we bear one another's burdens. We bear one another's burdens. See, in verse 27, Paul affirms that Epaphroditus was indeed sick almost to death, but notice what he says. Got to be, watch this carefully. God had mercy not only on Epaphroditus to heal him, did you notice where God's mercy also went? On Paul. On Paul, because it would have been uh, but it had been given Paul great sorrow to have lost Epaphroditus to death. So Paul, get this, Paul's understanding of God's healing mercy to his brother Epaphroditus was as much something that happened to Epaphroditus as it was to him. Isn't that interesting? So this further illustrates how Christian fellowship can be a place of longing. But it also, I think, shows us, I think it shows us what, that Paul was encouraging in the Philippians, namely that they should bear one another's burdens. Paul wanted them to see that Epaphroditus' sufferings were his sufferings. Paul didn't find out Epaphroditus was sick and be like, man, hope you feel better. Praying for you, bro. The gladiator's down in the Colosseum. I'm going to go try to check them out. That's not what he did. That's not what Paul was doing. No, there was this kind of closeness that had developed between Epaphroditus and even the church as a whole, going back to chapter 1, where the church had become so important to him that it was as though he was suffering. It was similar to what Paul wrote to another church in the church at Corinth when he said, when one body part suffers, the whole body suffers. So if you break your femur bone, it has an effect on your brain and on your hands, right? And on your heart, all these things get affected. And so it is with the community of the gospel. We seek the interest of Christ by bearing the burdens of those that are struggling. And that's where we go back to being ministers of need, right? Where that's happening in the life of the church, we we need to determine those needs, be close enough to those needs that we can see those needs and move in on them and bear those burdens. But also, we not only bear burdens, we also rejoice with those that are rejoicing. We rejoice with those that are rejoicing. This is the ninth thing, nine things we've seen so far in this little passage. To seek the interests of Christ in one another as the community of the gospel is to rejoice when there is cause for rejoicing in the kinds of things that Christ rejoices in. Paul says this exact thing in just a moment later in the letter, but here we see it beginning to be illustrated in Paul rejoicing in Epaphroditus' healing. But also, Paul rejoices at the thought, get this, Paul rejoices at the thought of Epaphroditus being received back home by the church in Philippi. 
See, there's this intimacy that we are to have with one another that not only assumes we might know when there's cause for rejoicing, but the care factor is so deep that we are glad at the thought of others rejoicing and having good things happen to them. See, I think since we are oftentimes, not all the times, but sometimes trained in society to think most about ourselves, we tend to despise or maybe even envy the joy of others. But here we see that the delight of others can be our delight as well. And so singles, you can rejoice when you find out others are getting married. Marriage, you can rejoice when you find out the ways that singles are using their time that you don't have. Right? I think even we, in the life of our church, it's been a while since we've seen fruit in evangelism. And so if we find out another church, I got a, I got a text message from another church planner that we pray for often, and we found out he saw a brother come to faith in Christ. My temptation is to go, well, I want some of that. But... No, I just rejoice that the fruit of evangelism is happening in another church in our city. Praise the Lord. You know how we can all do this? Because we're one team. We're one family. One same interest. So we can rejoice with those that rejoice. And this frees us then. And we see ourselves this way. Looking to Christ. Holding fast to one another. We can rejoice. And we can bear burdens. And we can offer in so doing a better story to the world. Tenth. We receive gospel labors in the Lord with all joy. We receive gospel labors in the Lord with all joy. Did you pick up on Paul's command there in verse 29? Did you note that it was in the language of command? Receive. He's telling them to do something. Receive Epaphroditus in the Lord with all joy. Now what does that mean? Receive him in the Lord. He doesn't just say, hey man, take him back. I mean, they're going to do that anyway. He's trying to tell them how they need to take him back. Receive, them, receive him in the Lord with all joy. Well, I think we get a hint about that from Romans chapter 16, verse 2, where the deaconess Phoebe is told to be welcomed in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. So what Paul seems to be saying here is that Epaphroditus, or as Epaphroditus is welcomed back to the fellowship of the church, he should be welcomed back in a way that marks him off as one who has participated in the greatest work that there is. Receive him back in a way that he has participated in the greatest work there is, namely the work of the gospel. He shouldn't be treated like someone that took a vacation in Rome, right? So, hey, Epaph, how was Rome, man? Was it cool? Did you go to the Colosseum? How was the food in Rome? You know, that's great, man. Cool. Welcome back, bro. Good to have you. You going to play the music team next week? That would be great. Peace out. No, that's that's not what is happening. To receive gospel labors back is done with joy because it reveals that they are in the Lord by their gladly doing the work of the Lord. In other words, a church this is the way we kind of language we use around the church. Uh, You are what you celebrate. You are what you celebrate. And we want to celebrate. This is what Paul's after. Celebrate gospel laborers. Because by us celebrating that, it pulls it up in the life of the church and says, this is what we're after. This is what we're after. This is what is most important to us as a church. So, brothers, sisters, when Andrew comes back here in September, we should have a kind of joy and welcome that's different than receiving somebody back for other reasons. We are taking him back after his going overseas for the work of the gospel. And this should be celebrated, or as Paul says, we should honor such people. That's the next thing. Let's go ahead and go there. 
We seek the interest of Christ by receiving gospel labors back in the Lord with all joy. And we honor courageous Christians. We honor courageous Christians. See, Paul says, receive him in the Lord with all joy and something else. Honor such men. Oh, what kind of men, Paul? Verse 30, the kinds of ones that risk their life for the work of Christ. That's who. Brothers, sisters, courage is desperately needed in the church today. Here in America, there is beginning to be a greater cost, greater cost to living out the historic Christian faith. Now, to be clear, it's always been costly, but there's beginning to be more of a public cost to us today as the society secularizes. And I think it's also, we're also seeing that it's more costly to live out as Christians in a lot of other places overseas where it previously had not been. But Restoration Church, if we are going to seek the interest of Christ in one another uh, and in all the world and shine his light, we're going to have to be more courageous for Christ. We're going to have to be more courageous. We're going to have to be willing to love God more than man. We're going to have to be willing to love the difficulties of gospel labors more than our own comfort. We're going to have to be willing to go to hard places and say hard things for the glory of God. And so, listen, there's a reason why the remaining peoples that do not have gospel-believing churches in their midst, we might call them unreached people groups, there's a reason why they're the last of the bunch. Because they're typically the most dangerous. Will we be willing to go there, even if it means it costs us our lives or our livelihoods? Is Christ that important to us? Or is the gospel just a nice benefits package for when we die? See, for those blessed saints that put their yes on the table and they go to the hard places in order to preach the gospel, we must honor such men and women. All too often, I don't know about you, but all too often I honor the wrong kinds of folks. You know? I can so easily honor the kinds of people that maybe are there because of fame or fortune or some position. But Paul tells the church here to show the world that you are different by valuing people that are different from the world because you value something beyond this world. Value them. Honor them. That's how you show. That's how you be lights to the world. You hold them up. Jesus tells us that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so treasure God and treasure God's people and especially treasure those, honor those that put themselves in difficult places so that the truth of the gospel could advance to those in need. And so I have a question for you, Restoration Church. What do you say that we become a church of honored men and women? In this way. What do you say we become a church like that? What do you say that is that we become the kind of church that is so courageous for Christ that we have to wrestle with how to figure out how to obey this passage every week? I mean, can you imagine, wouldn't it be a great problem to have every week where the elders are going, man, all right, so-and-so, we need to honor them because of what they did this week. We need to honor them the next week. We need to honor them the next week because these people are just pushing the gospel out, putting themselves in difficult positions. Wouldn't it be great to have that problem? Let's be that kind of church. And the way that we do that is by holding fast to Christ, not by pulling our bootstraps up, folks. I told my community group this week, Again, we were meeting at the, uh, right before we broke up into accountability groups. I told them, as we were working through these ideas, I said, listen, the idea here is not, we don't come together every week as a community group. We don't come together as a church just to kind of get a few improvement tips on how to work better for Jesus. No, we just come together so we'll be reminded to look to Jesus. That's it. Look at Jesus. Just look at Jesus. 
love him. Let's honor the Epaphroditus's of our church. Let's pray for more Epaphroditus's in the life of our church. Let's strive to be like him and ourselves. And the way that we do that is just what I, by doing what I just said. We look at Christ. This is the last thing, 12th and final thing. We give ourselves to Christ. We give ourselves to Christ. This is how we go about doing all this. We just give ourselves to Christ. We trust ourselves to Christ. We look to Christ. We fall in love with Jesus. And we say, I am yours. We read about him and we study him and we pray to him and we encourage each other in him. See, why did Epaphroditus do this? Why did he do this? Why did he go to this difficult work? Why did he leave his home? Why did he leave the church that he loved so much and travel a great distance to Paul and risk his life? Why? Well, Paul tells us why. It says right there in the text, he did it for the work of Christ. That's why. That's why. It wasn't just for Paul. That was not his ultimate aim. It wasn't just for the church. That was not his ultimate aim. Yes, he worked for Paul. Yes, he was sent by the church that he loved. But he did this because he was gripped by the gospel. He was gripped by the gospel. He wanted to work not ultimately for Paul or the church. Those were things, those were ways in which he was loving Jesus. Epaphroditus worked for Christ because Christ was so precious to him. So precious to him. He was willing to lose it all in order to gain Christ. And why is that? Why did he love Jesus so much? Maybe that's what some of you are asking this morning. Maybe one or two of you wondering about this sort of strange Christian life. Why would somebody do like something like this? Why would somebody be a Christian? Why would somebody risk their lives as a Christian and not just stay here and take it easy? Well, here's your answer. Because Christ was all of these things that we've been talking about for us. That's why. These 11 things that I've mentioned, Jesus was all of these things first to us. That's why. That's why someone loves Christ, gives their life to Christ, risks their life for Christ, because Christ was all of these 11 things and so many more for us first. For us first. See, Jesus Christ was glad to be sent by his Father to us. And so he sends us as he was sent. He became our brother by taking on flesh and blood and becoming like us. And so Christ is our brother. He's our family. He was, Christ was, our fellow worker by giving his life up on the cross for our sins. And so we become his fellow worker. He was our fellow soldier by standing in the gap for us and waging war on our greatest enemy of sin, defeating it by being defeated for us. And so we soldier as he soldiered for us. He was our messenger. He told us the way, the truth, and the life was bound up in all that he was. He opened our eyes to see the message. And so we are the messengers of him who was and is the message. He ministered to our needs of salvation. And so we minister to those in need of salvation. He longed for our fellowship so much that he was willing to lay his life down for us just so that we could be where he was. Isn't that amazing? And so it is no trouble for us to long for fellowship with him. He bore our burdens on the cross. He rejoiced to rise from the dead. And so we bear the burdens of this world and we rejoice with those who also rise from the death of their trespasses and sins by believing. He was received by his heavenly father with all joy for his work. And so like his father, our father, we also receive him with all joy. And lastly, he was honored for his courageous work. 
And so we honor him for his courageous work in our lives by being courageous ourselves for his glory. This is what it means. This is what it means to seek the interest of Christ and the community of the gospel. We send people. We operate as a family. We're We see ourselves as fellow workers, fellow soldiers, messengers, ministers of needs. We bear each other's burdens. We rejoice with others that rejoice. We have fellowship that we long for. We receive gospel labors in the Lord with all joy. We honor courageous Christians. We work for Christ because he first worked for us. This is what it means to operate as a church, a community It is seeking the interest of Christ. Like a stout-hearted family who also is an army, we carry the message of the gospel into the world and we minister to their needs, knowing their greatest need is forgiveness and everlasting satisfaction in Him who first loved us. This is who we are, Restoration Church. This is who we are. And this is who you can become, friend, if you trust Christ. and Give your life to Him and follow Him. You no longer need to be lonely, friend. You can find all that you need in Jesus and in Jesus' people. Rest assured that we will disappoint you from time to time. But it is our intention to hold fast to Christ and show you him and be the kind of community that is a preview of the heavenly kingdom as we try to engage the world for the glory of his good name. So let's pray and ask God to do that in our midst as he's already doing. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the 136 covenanted members of this church, so many of whom are doing all of these things. What a joy it is to watch your word be lived out by real people. So many people wonder where you are at in the world. And what a joy it is to lead a church where I get to see you all over the place every week. God, we pray for more. Pray for more, not for our glory, but for yours. Correct us, instruct us, train us in paths of righteousness. May we be totally encapsulated with the glory of Christ. And may we be a church full of Epaphroditus. Courageous Christians, willing to risk our lives for the good of your people in the world. Help us to be ministers of need. And God, train us in this way. And Lord, never let us forget why we do it all. We do it for Christ because Christ first did it for us. He is our hope, our joy, and our glory. And we pray in his name.